locate in your Bibles this morning the New Testament book of the Acts of the Apostles. Acts chapter 1. And in just a moment, I'm going to read from verse 6. Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. Someone can, uh, for those using church Bibles, call out the number. Charles. 909 in your church Bibles. 909 Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. There's a lot that could be unpacked from these verses. But I want to ask you the same question. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? It's an odd passage in some ways. I mean, you have uh, Jesus being caught up into the sky and clouds and they're looking into heaven and it's not normal right i mean this 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 is so far as our everyday experience a bit weird but i mean just think about life life itself think about the universe in which we live and think i mean if we didn't live in it it would be unbelievable a, a, a giant sphere in the sky suspended by nothing that is spinning at crazy speed around a, a glowing bright orb of gas that's also suspended in the sky seemingly by nothing and is warm. In fact, it's not just warm, it's hot and it, it based on the angle at which the ball on which we live is turned and where it is, it's day and it's night and the seasons change and in some places it's hot and in some it's cold and some it's dry and in some it's rainy and it's all based on where one ball is in position to, to this, this giant orb of, of flaming gas. I mean, that, that sounds odd, does it not? It, just a bit. 
so much about who you are and who I am and how we are made up and, and what, what, what composes us. All, all of this is, is a bit unusual. And so you had to, to, to guess when the creator of this amazing and yet somewhat bizarre universe sets down into his creation things are going to be a bit different. Things are going to be a bit supernatural, a bit weird even at times. So the disciples are gathered around Jesus and they've already seen some interesting stuff, uh, to put it mildly. And suddenly, you know, Jesus has to say what he has to say and then up he goes into the sky and they're just sort of looking at him. It kind of does make... The question asked by these two men in white robes, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Slightly humorous because, I mean, a man just has gone up <laughs> I mean, who's not going to look into to heaven at that sort of thing. Why, why are we talking about this? I mean, you, you, some of you were thinking you were probably in First Corinthians again this week. Well... This past week marked Ascension Day. That's the occasion some 40 days after, the res- uh, after Christ's resurrection from the dead, when Jesus returned to the glory of heaven. And as, as Jesus was um, uh, risen, so too he ascended. And we believe that Jesus rose and we believe that he ascended. Article 9 of our church's statement of faith sums it up. We believe that God's Son ascended to the right hand of the Father and is enthroned in glory where he intercedes on behalf of his people and rules over all things for their sake. And in so confessing, we agree with centuries of Christian belief. Go back uh, almost 20 years now to the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, Article 2b, and it says, He ascended into heaven, the 1966 Baptist Affirmation of Faith, Chapter 5.3, He ascended into heaven, the 1689, that is the year, 1689, London Confession of Faith, On the third day, he rose from the dead with the same body in which he suffered, with which he also ascended into heaven. Rewind even faster and get to the year 325. And the Nicene Creed says he ascended into heaven. Couple hundred years before that, the Apostles' Creed dated to as early as the year 140. He ascended into heaven. So these centuries of consistent declarations of Christian belief in the ascension proclaim Christ is ascended, but they go back to the scriptures themselves. After all, the purpose of these statements, these confessions, these creeds is to faithfully articulate Scripture. That's at least their aim. Um, and, and, and we believe in the ascension, not chiefly because historic Christian tr- tradition tells us so, though that is important, but because the Bible tells us so. And it contains eyewitness accounts to how and why Jesus died. 
and why his tomb is empty and where he went after his resurrection. Those accounts come from the very people who stood on that day there gazing into the sky. And this morning I want to invite you to join them for a moment. And in your minds, to look into the sky, to gaze into heaven with them. To think the thoughts that they might have thought. Even, perhaps, to seek to feel something of something of what they might have felt. This really matters, and I want you to see why. The ascension is rooted in the soil of everything else about Jesus Christ's life. And it bears fruit in and for your lives, if you would be Christ's followers. So gaze with the disciples into the sky and see first that the ascension recalls the incarnation. For those new to the Christian faith and Others less new, but who've forgotten some of the big words we use to describe the beauty of the Bible's story. The incarnation is what we call the event whereby God took up residency with us. God was made flesh. God was made man. The maker of man was made man. And it's, a, it's an astounding truth, God taking up residency with us, being made flesh, and He did this in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus told a Jewish religious leader named Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven. Jesus is God with us. He is the eternal radiance of the Father's glory. He is the exact imprint of the Father's nature, enfleshed in frail humanity to restore peace between God and man. That's that grace I was talking about earlier. That we have a good God and we have rebelled against Him. But Jesus Christ came to repair the relationship to pay the price for our sins so that those who were far from God might be brought together in Jesus Christ. So Jesus is is the bridge by which now we, we gain access to God, crossing the rift and the divide caused by our rebellion and our sin. Jesus shared this human experience. Sometimes we can forget that. Sometimes in um, just reflecting on the person of Jesus Christ and talking about all that he did and all that he said. And when we read the Bible, we we kind of have this um, ethereal, otherworldly type of feeling, don't we? Kind of as you're you're looking at the person of Jesus, there's something different. And we, 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 we start focusing really on Jesus being fully God. And I understand that. But we forget sometimes that Jesus was fully man, that he shared this human experience. He knows what it's like. He enjoyed the beauty of being a person. The beauty of living in this world. 
And he endured, he endured the brokenness to the point that he was broken himself, bruised, beaten, crushed. In the earlier days of Jesus' ministry, he fueled celebration, turning water into wine at a wedding. In the later days of his ministry, he felt sadness, weeping at the graveside of a dear friend four days late for the funeral. Yes, we believe that Jesus was fully God, so he went up. But the incarnation tells us that he was fully man and he only went back up because he had first come down. Why? Because we couldn't go up if he didn't come down. We, we could not be with God. We could not be restored to God if Jesus did not bring God to us. Keep gazing with the disciples into the heavens and realize that the ascension proclaims not only incarnation, but redemption. Jesus glorifies the Father by purchasing eternal salvation for God's people. That is an eternity rejoicing in and resting in the full and free Perfect forgiveness of God. An eternity not of justice, because justice would entail receiving what you deserve for your rebellion against God, but an eternity of joy in His presence. It's good news. Jesus returns to heaven, that mission accomplished. He has purchased The forgiveness of sins for every single person who believes in him. Jesus prays on the night before his death in John chapter 17. I glorified you, my father on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So he ascends into heaven. And accompanying him on his return are what the Bible calls, and even some of the songs we sang this morning, a host of captives. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, referencing Psalm 68, 18, say, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. And he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. The risen Christ in imperial majesty parades through the heavenly streets with sin, fear, death, and the grave in chains, shackled at his feet. But he also leads their former captives captive into liberty. Those who once were dead in sin, slaves to fear, destined to die, cursed to the grave, without help in life 
without hope in eternity or without a home anywhere are taken captive by a greater captor, led onward and upward by their triumphant deliverer. If you are following Jesus today, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, if you are turning from your rebellion against God to this new life in Jesus Christ, you are no longer slaves. You are children of God. You are no longer far from God. You are near to God. In fact, the scripture says that God has made now his dwelling place not only with you, but in you. You are a temple yourself to the Holy Spirit. You are free. You are free indeed. The things that once controlled you control you no more. The desires that once destroyed you have been or are being destroyed. Your identity is reversed as your slave masters are now in chains. And you walk devotedly alongside and behind the chariot of your great liberator with a shout of jubilation. A chorus of joyous freedom. That's redemption. And it's yours. If you trust in Jesus. As you continue to gaze. You see most obviously that the ascension demonstrates the resurrection. The declaration of the women and uh, then later the, the men initially doubting and hesitant that Jesus is risen takes on fresh significance. Jesus descended to the grave itself. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 9 says, but he rose up. Not a miraculous resuscitation. Resuscitation is when, you know, you, you die and you're raised to live and then die again. This is not a miraculous resuscitation. Uh, this is a, an unprecedented resurrection to eternal life. Triumphant over death, Christ rises far above all heavens to fill all things. Ephesians 4 verse 10 says, to enjoy the eternal glory of the Trinity from which He had stepped. Jesus, though once dead, is now alive. And He raises us up spiritually from our death to sin. Our death in sin. And one day He will raise us up bodily. Redeeming and restoring us from the inevitable decay of death to the eternal delight of heavenly life. I hope you're seeing how the ascension relates to you. Are you following me this morning? That this is good news. It's not just the crucifixion. It's not just the resurrection. But 40 days later, Jesus ascended into heaven. Now that's three, and you think I'm done. But remember, you're, you're gazing, not glancing. So, so keep gazing, because you have to see also that the ascension enables intercession. Intercession 
is that appeal someone makes on behalf of another who for some reason or another cannot make that appeal. And, you know, that, that reason is within us. We sin. We are sinners, every one of us. We have all broken God's commands. We've all done wrong things. We, we, we've all trespassed the, the boundaries that God has set for our lives. And that means there, that, that, that we need to have someone else go to God in our place. Someone else to talk to God on our behalf. You know what that's like, don't you? Let's let's not be self-righteous and act like we've never had fallings out with people. Because when you do, maybe this is just me, you know, I want someone else to kind of go and see if things are smoothed over. Even after apologies have been exchanged. Even after, you know, forgiveness has reportedly been extended, I'm still going to, you know, ask someone else to check in because I'm I'm not sure where where I stand. Are things smooth with us or are are we, you know, is it all patched up? Because, uh, you know, how are they? Are are, are they are, are they are they okay? Did they say anything? You know, you know what's. You know what's up when I ask you to check in on someone. <laughs> not, not necessarily, but maybe. Um, that, that, that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus goes to God and he talks to God in our place. Jesus goes and has, has you know, that, that sort of mediating interaction with the Father. So that we can freely and boldly approach God and know His grace. Slavery to sin has ravaged everything about us. Even those of us who have followed Jesus and are repenting of sin and trusting in Him and are free in Christ must still grow in our understanding and in our experience of Christian freedom. Christian freedom is not freedom to sin. Please do not misconstrue that. From the earliest days of the church, people said, oh, this means we're free to sin. Yay. Good times. Happy days. Uh, it doesn't mean that. It, it means that you are free for the first time to defeat sin. It means that you are free not to sin. Your nature once gravitated to certain things. You're in your nature, you once loved certain things. In your nature, you once were like, no, I don't see the problem with this, even though there was something deep inside that you knew makes this wrong. You know, but now you're free. And that freedom says you you hate this doesn't mean you don't struggle with it at times. It doesn't mean you don't still wrestle with sin. It doesn't mean you don't sin at times. It, what, what, what it, you hate it. You fight it. Some things, the Bible say, it, it says in places to fight sin. There are other places it says to flee from sin. There are some things that are just too hot to handle. You, you can't mess about with them. You know, you know, it's not worth grappling with, with that. Run. Get away. You know what those things are in your life. Those things that you just, you you can't expose yourself to that. 
You know, because because that will have an enslaving hold on you. Run from those things. Jesus is interceding for us, which gives us great hope. We, we, We now, he having gone before us, we now follow him. But assimilating into Christ's kingdom life is a work in progress. We live between a present reality and a future hope. Our present reality is we still are affected by sin. Our future hope is sinless. And there, there, there's, there's nothing at all that, that, that will tempt us, that will lead us astray, that will bind us. We live between these two things. In the already, but the not yet. We're neither abandoned by God because he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Enter into my house. Nor are are we exiled. We're not thrown out. We're, We're not cast out. When we don't know how to act or quite what to pray, the ascended Christ always lives to pray for us. And so he is there pleading our case. Yes, they're sinners. Yes, it's true. Yes, yes, they have done this. Yes, they have done that. Be merciful. Father, forgive them. For they do do not know what they do. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. Uh, are, 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 are you weighed down by thoughts of your sins? Are you troubled about things you have thought, said, or done that you wish you hadn't? But you can't change those things. I wish you could. I wish I could. I wish we, you know, I could change the things that I... I regret, and I wish you could change the things you regret, and if we couldn't change our own stuff, we could help each other change stuff. But it's like, it's like once the toothpaste is out of the tube, you can't get it back in. And the mess has been made. And it just has to be cleaned up, and then it's starting to dry in places, and it's sticky, and it's all, you know, it's not as great as we might think. We can't solve our sin problem ourself. Are you haunted by things perhaps that you didn't do, that you should have done? You know, the, the Bible says that for the one who knows to do something and, and does not do it, that is sin. Times you should have spoken up but you kept silent. Times you should have taken action, but you stood passively by. Times that you were complicit in other people's sins. Not by participating in those sins, but by keeping quiet and by staying seated. Maybe by looking on and letting... Other things happen that should not. 
Maybe there was someone that you could have helped, should have helped, but you didn't. Maybe there was someone that you, you could have been friendly to, you could have been nice to, but you, and, and, and you could have really blessed, but you were like, nah, I don't have time for that. There was worship of God that you, 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 you could have offered good to your neighbor that you could have given, but you did not. And maybe some of those things, I dare say not all of them, but some of those things might weigh on you, might haunt you even. Would it be different if I had done this and I had done that and had said this and that? A nagging feeling turns to worry. Worry turns to anxiety. Anxiety turns to fear. And you forget Christ's adequacy. And you contemplate only your own inadequacy. Maybe you become filled with regret. Perhaps a measure of self-loathing. You doubt God's promises. And you doubt God's faithfulness to keep His promises. Depression follows. Friends, are you trusting in Christ? Are you holding on to the promised forgiveness and salvation that Christ's incarnation and Christ's resurrection represent? Then don't be afraid. You don't have to represent yourself. You don't have to say a word. Christ is interceding on your behalf. That's what the ascension is all about. It enables intercession. Christ is your representative. Christ is your advocate. Christ is, is the one who legally stands in your place in heaven. And He is the judge. If you confess your sins and you turn from them and you, 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 you follow Jesus into his ascended life, you can be assured that Jesus has already paid the price fully for your sins. It is finished. Satan himself can make you out to be a demon. Satan can come to you and tell you all the things that you've thought, said, and done that are wrong, that separate you from right relationship with God. You've had that experience, haven't you? You're discouraged, you're disheartened, you're depressed, you're wondering, ah, you know, I'm, I'm a hopeless case, I'm a lost cause. Satan speaks against you. He tempts you into faithless despair. But Christ's representation is greater than Satan's accusation. We are now Christ's captives, not Satan's. And Christ is not letting us go. Whatever dirt Satan drags up to say, oh, they're unfit for your house, Christ. No. He, he brought us into his house knowing exactly who we were. Knowing exactly what we'd done. And it's all good. Because he's interceding for us. If you gaze much longer, I think you'll probably have some neck pains. So uh, there's only one more thing that I'm going to show you for now. The ascension inaugurates our reigning sovereign. 
Returning to His place of honor, Christ receives dominion, glory, and a kingdom. So that, as Daniel chapter 7, verses 13-14 through 14 say, those of every people, every nation, and every language should serve Him. You are not in control. Which is actually quite a liberating thought. In Proverbs 30, our brother Charles began the service with a reading from this text. A man's complaint perhaps resonates with, it, with many of us. I know it resonates with me. I am weary, O oh God. I am weary, O oh God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Does anyone here feel like that at times? That, that, that you're just tired? You're, that's in the Bible, Proverbs 30. You're worn out. And you feel stupid and worthless and, 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 and foolish. And you don't know what's going on and what it's all about. The guy then goes on to ask, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Do you know his name this morning? The, the, the guy who wrote that agar in Proverbs 30 says, surely you know. He's talking to, to God. But... Do you know? After all I've been saying, surely you know. Not only does God know, but those who are His people know. He who ascended is He who descended. He stretched out His hands to the winds and said, peace be still. He walked on the water as though it wasn't even there. Wrapped up in a garment and tossed aside. He is the Word without whom nothing that has been established in this universe was established. Nothing that has been made was made apart from Him. His name is Jesus Christ. And unlike the thieving, satanic slave master of our past, Jesus gives gifts to people. He's not about taking, He's about giving. And and these gifts are those of a king to His kingdom. Maybe later you can read Ephesians chapters 4-6. through That's a bit of homework for you this week. Ephesians, read all of Ephesians, just six chapters, but focus on chapters 4-6. through Jesus gives unity, He gives leadership. He gives security. He gives purity. He creates a new social order of goodness, righteousness, and truth that is opposed to our old, broken, sinful systems. And until Christ's kingdom is fully established with His return, we continue to pray as Jesus taught us to pray, Your kingdom come. But because Christ's kingdom has already begun, we proactively pursue your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can and we must live in distinctive love and teach all things that Christ has commanded in and with his authority because we share Christ's reign. 
Jesus is ascended so we can follow him. Jesus is interceding so we can stay with him. Jesus is reigning so we can reign with him. And it's all for our sake. It's for you that Jesus is ascended. So let's all be about his service. The angels ask the disciples, verse 11 of Acts 1, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Jesus had just told them, Go back to your city and wait for power from on high. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But they're standing there gazing into heaven. Just looking. Trying to find another glimpse. It's like that weird thing people do when they see a balloon flying in the sky. I say a weird thing. I do that. I mean, if there's a balloon flying in the sky, I'm just going to stand. I'm just going to watch it. And then watch it. Eventually it either pops or disappears. And that's kind of what they're doing. They're just standing there staring into the heavens at Jesus. No, he's gone now. There's just a cloud. Jesus had said, get back to your city. But they're just hanging out. And the angels come and they say, why do you stand looking into heaven? They're to go back and be Christ's witnesses. They're to be his diplomats, his ambassadors, his heralds, his messengers, his representatives, his influencers, his newsboys, his workplace gossips for the gospel. But they're just standing there looking into heaven. And perhaps this is how some of us are. We treat our spiritual lives like the disciples treated the cloud that hid Jesus. We tick various boxes of worship, but not of witness. We go to church and reflect, don't we? We open our Bibles and we look. We hear the preacher and we, we attentively gaze. We meditate on the great truths of Scripture and we ponder what they mean for us, although we might not necessarily live out that meaning. We discuss the Scriptures. We perhaps even debate aspects of the Scriptures with others who actually agree with us who also believe in Jesus, who also are are, are people who love the Word, and we spend our time talking about words and quarreling over words and talking about this and thinking about that and pondering this, and then we get all hypothetical. We've exhausted what's in the written text, and then you hear people say, I wonder, what about this? And it's something the Bible doesn't really talk about. And and then they, they, they get speculative, and they begin adding things, and Feeling things and thinking, and it just gets, we talk a lot and we think a lot and we reflect a lot and we overthink to the point of inactivity. We contemplate, we consume, but do we care for those around us? 
Starting in the church. People of of different generations perhaps. Oh, they're, they're old. I feel I don't have anything in common with them. Well, they were young once. They have a lot of wisdom for you. Oh, they're young. I feel that they, they, they have no respect and they, they're, they're disorganized and I, I don't like the way they do things. Well, they need, our, our young people need people to show them. They need people to teach them. They need people to, to shepherd them. People to, to, you know, sometimes they don't have it in their, their families. Sometimes people have not had good leadership model for them in their life. They've not had fathers who were really in a good way present in their life. Some of them have had mothers that were in their life to, to care for them and love them and, and, and show them how to do things. At least who were helpful influences. What about different ethnicities? Well, they don't speak my language or their English isn't so great or I don't know, that, that, you know, they have a different skin color or, or the, I'm afraid they might say something insensitive or, oh, they said something I didn't like that time. And it, it just becomes, you know, a, a barriers that get in the way of Christian fellowship. They come from a different background. They're, they're middle class. And I feel like they, they probably just are looking down on the rest of us. Or, oh, oh, oh they're, a bit, they're a bit middle class. You know, their nose is up in the air. And, 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 and they're, you know. Or, oh, they're, they're working class. And, you know, they're, they're a bit too street for my tastes. And I just feel that, you know, uh, they're, they're not my cup of tea, really. Um, and, and, you know, it, 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 this person went to boarding school. That person went to, you know, a, a government school or whatever. And this person was at an academy. And it just becomes, everyone starts drawing weird lines. And it's not normal, good, healthy human behavior. And it's definitely not normal Christian behavior. Different levels of spiritual maturity. Well, that person doesn't know how to find their way around the Bible. Or, or, or mm, that, that, that person seems like they know it all. And they, they just, they're always talking about Jesus and they can't talk about anything but theology and stuff like that. Um, and, 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 you know, we, we let these things get in the way of treating people like people and treating people like brothers and sisters. Different levels of church activity. Doesn't matter that they were. Working till two in the morning. They weren't at Sunday morning service. And for that matter, that person might say, You weren't at Sunday evening service. And people begin to judge, and, um, and, and, and it's almost like someone's salvation is dependent on their presence at um, you know, a midweek when uh, they, they may very well have um, you know, work to do or family to attend to. I'm not making excuses for them. We, we, we must be careful and caring. Not hypocrites. Not self-righteous. Do we get over ourselves and cultivate deep, meaningful relationships and friendships that defy the boundaries and barriers of this world, of the flesh and how we feel, and of the devil who tempts us in a way that divides us? Do we create in others a, um, a sorrowful contemplation of sin, but also a joy in salvation, a love for God, 
a hunger for eternal truth, a longing for more, for meaning, for an amazing identity and an unshakable kingdom that transcends all that they have previously thought about themselves or when people interact with us do they not want anything else to do with church, with Christians, with people who believe in God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has gone to the glory of eternity. But you have not. Why do you stand looking into heaven?